Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Dolman. And I'm Stephen Craig. So we've been working more on the super simple power supply. Yep. Uh, the front panel is mostly done. has lots of LEDs on it. As uh, it should. As it should. Um, I put three rows of segmented displays, so it has two of those. So it's, uh, excuse me, it has uh, six basically blocks of four digits okay. that are alphanumeric. Um, I'm still trying to tweak the idea of the custom LED segmented RGB displays. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. We'll have to look into that some more. We'll have to look into that more. It might be that maybe like the Rev 2 of the panel, because yeah. I kind of want to get a panel done yeah, so yeah, start yeah. messing with it. Um, so basically, it will show the top will be voltage, and then it'll be amperage, and then it'll show wattage. Cool. And then on the side of those are three bar graphs, mm-hmm. which show what relationship is the voltage or the amperage or the wattage to the total power consumption of what that channel could do. Mm. And so if your voltage is set to 1, you know, it would be a little blip on the on the bar graph, but you have it set to 40, it's maxed out. Right. Same thing with the amperage and the wattage. Okay, so, you, so basically you see, am I pulling a ton of current or is my voltage dominating my power? Yeah, so it would basically be like a VU meter for the power supply. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. And then I've been working on the encoder stuff. I'm still trying to figure out what encoder I want to use. The problem is trying to find a, a encoder that is top-mounted, so it points up, mm-hmm. that's also low-profile enough to fit behind the panel. Yeah. Most are too tall. Because I don't want there to be a big, a big gap between the top of the LED segments and the top of the encoder. So... Um you could always drill through the board the width of the encoder. Yeah, and drop it down. And then drop it down. Yeah, that could work. I, I've, I've done some tricks like that, and I was able to get my PCBs closer to the chassis by, by actually physically mounting components through the board. Yeah, through the board. Yeah. That could work. And I have saw, I've seen some reverse mount encoders. Where the legs go the opposite where the direction? the legs go towards the shaft. Right. Right. And so you mount from the back. Those, Those are, cool. are really cool. Yeah. Um, pricey though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they don't they don't have a lot of those in stock usually. And then what we really need to nail down next is the control system. How does the front panel talk to, which actually has all the digital logic on it? How does it talk to the op amps that sit in the back? And yeah, because we have a, we have a gap right now. We yeah. we know what our driver is. Yes. What the what the output guy is but and, and and we have a general idea of what the digital stuff is but Nothing there's to, like fog in between yeah there's no there's no we haven't sat down and done a this is what this is how the op amp works this is how we tweak it from the digital end right just because there, there's not a very straightforward clear path forward exactly yeah uh, we have infinite possibilities we just have to choose what works for us yeah and actually i was thinking is uh for the next podcast episode eight Mm -hmm. is we should do a live discussion about that is basically on your end is draw up what you need and i'll draw up what i have yeah and we'll have a live discussion of trying to figure out how to make the analog and digital interlock and mesh together oh that sounds great yeah i think be pretty so it'd be a little bit different from our normal formats you you'll get you'll get to hear us argue about our design choices. Yeah, yeah, I that'd be, be fun. Cool. Yeah, um, 
And I've also been thinking about like auto calibration and that kind of stuff of the like of the amperage pulling that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah uh, it's sounds, it's getting there. Sounds like a good idea. Let's 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 plan for it. Yeah. So what have you been working on, Stephen? So uh, I've uh, got a a blog post that will be coming out uh, sometime in the future where we are um, discussing. Pogo pins. We're actually discussing the merits of pogo pins and the downfalls of pogo pins. So, when you mean merits, like, because I, I I've seen on the engineering budget you've been purchasing lots of different kind of pogo pins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think you got like a box of like twenty different kinds. So okay, so here's here's a kind of a hint on what's what's coming up in the future. We're kind of calling this the ultimate pogo pin showdown right now. Um, pogo pins are incredibly Western useful. music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so pogo pins are really, really useful, and there's a lot to choose from. What do you pick? Yeah, there's... What style do you pick? Is it long, tall? You know, is it skinny? Does it have this kind of head? Through hole, surface mount. Exactly. So I've been buying a bunch of different pogo pins. I'm going to design some tests, and I'm going to send them through just a, a whole battery of different tests and see who comes out to be a, a winner. Yeah, the, the, some of the tests are going to be like current car- uh, current capabilities. Yep. How much noise it injects into the system. Exactly. How um, much force can they handle? Yeah, how much... How, Mainly side loading. Force. Exactly. How much stress and strain can I put on them before they either break or or Become fail? Useless. Yeah. Some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. You know what would be really fun? I haven't thought about this until right now. If I had like a little um, thing that could just keep pressing them up and down, and see if I can hit them. You know, I don't know, a million times, ten million times. So uh, actually, do the the uh, mating contact repeatability. Right, they, they actually say in their data sheet and see if it actually gets through that. Yeah, it sounds like something Dave Jones would do. <laughs> yeah, we should actually. I think what we can do is build is put a DC motor, right? Yeah, yeah. With just a cam lobe on the end, and it just and keeps. Just, so, just, so it, it just start, beats them. Yeah, it just beats the hell out of the uh, the tip. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so uh, you know, keep your eyes open. Um, you'll see in the future. You'll see a an article that shows uh, the ultimate showdown of pogo pins cool yeah and then uh on the fx dev board yeah uh, the uh prototype is being made right now yep uh well the the rev 2 prototype mm-hmm. uh expect to see that in the twitter sphere soon yep uh and pr- maybe a blog post about it i don't know yet um and i've been designing the enclosure part of it cool and so it's probably going to be a. Uh, I'm going to probably use PEM studs, so the board sits on that. Yeah. And then the top cover that pops onto it. And I've been trying to figure out how to make it work with like magnets, because it'd be really awesome if the top lid kind of like snapped on. Yeah. And so when you wanted to remove it to adjust something, you just pulled it off. So you didn't have to unscrew or mess with like thumb screws or wing nuts or anything. You just kind of pried it off. Hmm. And that was it. That's so, an interesting idea. So magnets would be pretty cool. I don't know anything about manufacturing a magnet or a magnetically closed lid. Hmm. So that's going to be a first for me. Yeah. Well, that'll be cool. And then uh, actually last Friday, we came out with the uh, Macrofab. We came out with the uh, ODB++ um, format, 
Yep. So we actually accept that format natively now. So right. You can, so ac- most EDA tools, most, uh, especially the more higher end ones like Altium and and I think Cadence does. Yes. Um, they output this this ODB plus plus format that basically is XRS and the machine data for the for the all the different layers all rolled up into one file. Uh, doesn't it have the bill of materials also? Yeah, it has that built in too. Yeah, so it's it's basically a single file. Yeah. That has all your manufacturing data. Exactly. And in fact, uh, Diptrace, their newest release, has ODB++. Well, they beat Eagle then. Yep. Eagle does not have that. Not I, yet. I, I'm, I'm surprised that someone doesn't have a ULP. You know, I actually was searching um, late last week about that, and I couldn't find a ULP. Interesting. That. Um, they have a ULP for everything. Yeah, except ODB++. Hmm. Anyways, we uh, Macrofab supports that natively now, so basically we have mostly all the EDA tools covered natively, mm-hmm. so you don't have to generate that dreaded XYRS format yeah. by hand, right? Um, which has been a real big blocker for some some of our customers. And But we got it done. Yeah, XYRS can be... It's it's not the funnest thing to generate, but yeah. Well, most people don't even think about it, or if it's their first time ever making a board, they've never had to mess with that before. Yeah, yeah. Once you, once you get it figured out, it's super easy. Yes. Yeah, super easy. Well, I guess we'll just move straight on ahead into the RFO. Time for RFO. Um, there was an article I think uh, about mid last week. Uh, that EE Web put out, and it was. I thought the title was interesting. It was like clickbait. Yeah. And it was from EE Web, and I'm like, that's kind of weird because EE Web usually doesn't have that kind of stuff. It's like BuzzFeed. Stuff. <laughs> and it was uh, five reasons to love the new USB 3.1 standard. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we're covering this. Guess what happens next? Yeah, guess what happens next? Um,. So number five on the list okay. was uh, the <laughs> amount of power that you can transfer over the new USB standard, which is really cool. It's 100 watts, and at 5 volts, that's 20 amps. Wow. 20 amps at 5 volts. That's that's beefy. Yeah. I, I want to see these power cables. I, w- I was just about to say, there there ain't no USB that, that's out there that can power yeah, 20 it's amps. Yeah, it's not going to be your, your, your iPhone cable, which is like, like, Five millimeters in diameter total. Yeah, but um, but the, the line. In fact, it will be possible to charge your laptop computer using your cell phone. And so I'm like, well, a cell phone battery has a two amp hour battery. It would drain your battery in what ten minutes if you charge your laptop with <laughs> yeah, this thing. Right, <laughs> right. And cell phone batteries are already bad. You, exactly. You're not going to be charging. So when I saw that line, I'm like, yeah, no one's ever going to do that. No, no, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, All right, so what's what's number four? Number four, uh, the USB Type-C connector, which isn't isn't specified as a 3.1 connector, but that's the connector they're using, which is Type-C now. Okay. And basically, it's like the lightning connector. It's reversible Okay. in, in uh, two directions. You mean it so can it be flipped 180? Like yeah. 180. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, so. which, by the way, why was there ever a USB that was not flippable? Yeah. Like the duck style, you know? So what's interesting is Microsoft, a couple years back, I think about five, six years ago, came out with a USB-A type connector yeah. 
that actually had a movable plastic piece in it. So as you put it in, it would sense where it was jamming, and it would snap up the plastic piece and right up, and so you could plug it in no matter what. It was it just like beveled or something like that? I have I you, they never released any specs or anything about it. It was yeah. one of those like Microsoft came up some something really awesome and it died after they showed it. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you you know the rule: you go to put in a USB and it doesn't fit, so you turn it over. And it's you go to plug it USB. in. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't fit the second time. So you have to flip it back to the first time, and it fits. <laughs> so it was interesting because it's, uh, it's only 180. What if you just made a USB connector that was round? Like a, like a barrel DC yeah. jack? Barrel, but it had connectors on the edge. And then when you plugged it in, it didn't matter, and it would somehow auto-detect what was power, what was ground, and what was data lines. Yeah, that sounds great. You can, you get right on designing that <laughs> and make it a standard. Make it a standard. <laughs> you know what? I got some buddies over at IEEE. I can call them right now. <laughs> we'll we'll make this a standard. Make that work? Tomorrow, it'll be a standard. <laughs> All right, number three. Number three. Um, 3.1 is backwards compatible with compatible connectors and interchanging stuff, which is... Always been a pain in the butt to use for you. Wait, 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 wait. It's not backwards compatible if, you have, if use... you have to have... That sounds like some Apple crap. Yeah. That sounds like the way Apple handles everything. Yeah. It's not... It's Yeah, it's backwards compatible if you give us some more money. Exactly. Um, basically, you'd have to have a special connector that uh, that changes the USB 2.0A to whatever... Uh, USB uh, Type-C. I, so okay. It's not truly backwards compatible, but call- signal-wise, it is. I'm calling that BS, and I'm knocking that off the list. <laughs> that That is not... No. So number two was faster data. That's to be expected from a new standard. Yeah. So nothing yeah. too exciting okay, there. Okay, that's vanilla. And then number one, one chord to rule them all. So type C is type C. There is no micro, mini... Type A, Type B, which is the big printer square port. Mm-hmm. There's none of that. It is just Type C. And so basically they're streamlining it basically kind of like Apple with Lightning Connector where everything Apple is Lightning Connector now. Yeah. Everything will be Type C Connector, which is a good thing. That's good. So that, that, that brings up one question. I'm Hey, I'm down for unifying things. Will that connector handle the abuse that I do for my, uh, for for all my USB minis so or micros. I mean micros. Yeah, micros. What's interesting about that is because it's very similar to the lightning connector. Okay. From where it's reversible that kind of way. Yeah. Where the connector mating surfaces themselves are fine, but it's the joint that's right behind it that attaches to the cable is failing. Right. And I think actually Apple has a class action lawsuit about that. Really? Yeah. Uh, I think that's recent. So, huh. so as long as you make the strain relief good, you're probably fine. I'm sure that's not a trivial task. No. Uh, I'm sure there's there's somebody really smart out there trying to figure that out. Yeah, because the, the big problem with USB mini was the very low retention force yeah. and how the, the low amount of insertions you got with that connector. Because I think minis, like, when they first came out, you got, like, a thousand connections. That's it? Which is, like... So if you charge your cell phone once a day, you get three years for that connector fails. Yeah. But, but most of us, if you're like, uh, well, this is right when, when smartphones were coming out, you had to charge your phone twice a day or three times a day. Yeah. Because they didn't have any battery life. So, so you, you're down to one year. One year, if that was all you did. 
And right. some people even plug their phones in when you're in the car. So that's four and five times a day. Exactly. And so you had really, like, people were wearing out mini connectors left and right. They went to the micro, which only, I think the micro only had problems in uh, basically sideways force. Yeah. Because uh, the first micros didn't have and have through hole tabs. So they were just surface mount only, and people were just ripping those things off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so then they basically moved to the micros that have two lugs that go right into the PCB. Mm-hmm. And that's all that issue. Um, well, uh, so, so here's, here's a, uh, if, if for any reason some cable manufacturers are listening to this podcast, here, here's the thing. I will pay 50 bucks if you can make me a, a, a military-grade bulletproof cable that never fails and make it something like 10 feet long. Something, something. I, I'm not passing data over it. Just power. If you do that, I will happily give you fifty bucks because I guarantee you, I've spent fifty bucks on replacing garbage uh, micro USB cables. Well, the thing is, if they made the cable so badass, what about the connector side in your phone? Actually, I've had that fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, can't but, help you on that one. No, 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 no. Can't, can't help on that one. And, and the funny thing was, I had that fail on my phone, and of course. I ripped my phone open and tried to resolder it. <laughs> I've actually had that happen with a mini on my Sony wireless headset. Yeah. If I had the mini fail, and so I, I think I've replaced that that connector three times <laughs> in the last two years. Really? And then the last time I said, you know, to hell with it. And I actually 3D printed a 18650 battery holder and, and I super glued it to the side of the headset. And so I just replace an eighteen six fifty lithium battery cell. <laughs> <laughs> We're nerds, by the way, in case anyone wanted to know. <laughs> I'll have to put a picture of that 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 hack. It's pretty good. Yeah, I like it. That's awesome. And uh, actually, we were talking about you know uh, USB connectors ripping off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, any reason to still use through hole over surface mount parts nowadays? Which is one of ones would be connectors. Mm-hmm. Um, some connectors are fine if you're only using them once or twice to be through hole only, but there's sometimes where it's something like a USB connector, which you're using multiple times a day, and you kind of need that extra physical oomph to hold that connector in place. Right. So that would still be where through hole would be. I, uh, you know, here, here's the thing: if if your connector is going to be used once or twice in the lifespan of the product, surface mount is fine. But but if it's if it's a if the purpose of the product is to use that connector, yeah, it makes my gut kind of feel bad, feel kind of <laughs> rumbly if if I'm using surface mount connection, yeah, because it's I've had enough experience. It's gonna rip off the board. It will happen yeah. eventually. Eventually, yeah. Any other other things like uh, through hole caps, resistors, that kind of stuff nowadays. You know, if it's if they're like monsters and they're, you know, like a big sail and in, you know, sticking up off the top of the Well, board. yeah, well I think that goes back to retention forces. You don't want that cap to rip off. Right. But what yeah. about resistors like a regular 8th watt resistor? Is there any reason to use a through hole 8th watt resistor anymore? The only situations that I can think of where people would argue against that is because um, you already mentioned the power situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
audio guys are the only guys because they care about the composition of what the resistor is made of. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. But uh, um, other than that, no, there's there's no reason. No reason. Uh, use use the surface mount guys unless the 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 component is somehow going to get hot enough to melt its own solder. Um, being being the being surface mount, which is you got a serious problem if that's happening yeah, exactly. anyway. So no, uh, go surface mount. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, favorite books that you would recommend to new designers? Ah. I got one off the top of my head right now, and in fact, last year, a new copy of it came out, The Art of Electronics. Oh, yeah. You know, I've actually never read that book. You know what? I have it at home. I'll bring it into work. You cool. need to read it. Yeah, so why, why is that such a good book? It is the Bible of electronic design. Um, it, it certainly costs a lot more than a Bible. Um, it's like a 100 bucks yeah. uh, for this book, which is a lot to fork out, but I mean... If you if you read it cover to cover and comprehend what's going on, I mean, you're gonna know electronics. Yeah. Gonna, <laughs> the funny thing was, I have the second edition. They just released the third edition. The second edition, I can't remember when it was copyrighted. It was like 1987 or something like that. Okay. So it it's not up to date. But the funny thing is, everything in there is still applicable. It's yeah. really good. I and, mean, because in in the 80s they still had mic they were there's the uh microcontrollers were still you know kind of in their infancy but they were around does it cover like the eight the 8051 microcontroller oh yeah. stuff? there's like an entire like 100 pages on the 8051 right, it's then, a it's it's a so good yeah, book then i would say it's probably uh the second edition still relevant yeah i think the third edition they rewrote large chunks of the book to just be a little bit more up to date they i mean there's a lot of focus on like BJT style circuits in the in the second edition, which makes sense for the age and things. I'm sure those have been updated. One of the things that's really great about the book is it's not massively academic. Mm -hmm. It's more like it's also it's also not like a compendium where you just look it up and it tells you the answer. You have to read it and you have to comprehend what's going on and it gives good examples, but it's also not like tons and tons of theory and formulas yeah it's really good somewhere in the middle it's very down to earth it's fantastic f to have as a reference on your desk favorite favorite electronic book for sure and then mine would be uh which is actually a little higher level would be uh emc for product designers oh, okay by, uh, tim williams is actually that's my favorite book um so actually would be very good if you're just starting out electronics is probably read that art of electronics yeah and then if you really like that and actually want to start developing products, mm -hmm. this book is probably the next thing you have to read because it covers everything on making sure you make a design that can pass FCC and CE certification. It doesn't actually cover uh, in great detail about that stuff, but it has all the gotchas and like, this is how this test works yeah, and what, you're lo what it's looking <laughs> for. And then how do you design your circuit board to get rid of that? Like, stray uh frequencies and and uh that kind of stuff like uh make so you sure can you just squeak good... by the test <laughs> well make sure you have yeah squeak by make sure you have good ground returns that kind of stuff uh, fair ips all that yeah, good jazz all that good stuff and that book is amazing and it's, it's kind of funny that one runs about 80 bucks too brand new i tell you what i've actually never read that book sounds yeah. like we need to do a swap yeah do a swap yeah it's probably a good idea cool 
And I think that will be uh, wrapping up this episode of the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Dolman. And I'm Stephen Craig. Catch you next time. Take it easy.